Congratulations, you have just found the number one over 50 health and wellness podcast on the planet. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the strongest, healthiest, most vital version of yourself. Today, we have another episode of the Coach's Corner. So no guest, it's just me. And we'll be back, of course, next week with our normal interview format. But this week, I want to talk a little bit about your body mass index, or BMI, and some of the history of how our medical community has adopted this tool to measure what is and isn't a healthy body composition. And then I'm going to spend a few minutes giving you some of my top weight loss tips that have absolutely nothing to do with dieting. Okay, let's do this. Let's get on with today's show. Okay, before we get to the rest of the show, let's do our social media shout outs. I have, of course, have two for you today. One is a fitness shout out. One's a personal shout out. Let's start with my fitness social media shout out. So today I want to shout out Teresa Burkett. Now, some of you OG listeners that have been around here for a while, that name might sound familiar. She was originally a guest on this show. Teresa was way back in May of 2021, so over two years ago. The title of that show was Silver is the New Strong, which is Teresa's kind of her tagline, right? I have really enjoyed following along with Teresa's journey not just her health and wellness journey, but her amazing social media journey as well. She has really built quite the audience. She's, I think she's on a bunch of different platforms. I follow her specifically on Instagram and you guys can check her out. She is super inspirational, has great content, always doing some amazing, amazing things. She's 63 years old, super strong, very fit. You guys can follow her if you're an Instagrammer over at Homebody Trainer. So that's her handle, Homebody Trainer. And of course, you can, if you haven't checked out her podcast episode, you can dig way back through the archives and find her there. For my second social media shout out, I want to, I want to shout out Dr. Gray Fang. So Dr. Gray Fang, and it's at Dr. Gray Fang, G-R-A-Y-F-A-N-G, and it's D-R. So D-R-G-R-A-Y-F-A-N-G. And I'll throw both Dr. Gray Fangs and Teresa's Instagram handles into the show notes. You guys can find that there. But basically, this is a funny meme um, account on Instagram. It has nothing to do with fitness or health specifically. And just a, a warning for those of you that might be easily offended or triggered. Some of that, some of the content there is probably not rated PG 13. He, he does, uh, does have some more outrageous type memes, but if you're a lover of just meme culture, lots of fun stuff there. So again, that's my personal shout out for today. Why your BMI is useless information. So in the world of health and wellness and nutrition, the body mass index or BMI stands as the key metric that's been leveraged for well over a hundred years now. It's a metric of how healthy your body weight is. So it's a way of measuring whether you're underweight and good weight, overweight, obese, and 
Its journey traces all the way back to the 19th century to a Belgian guy named Lambert Adolphe Jacques. I think his last name is Quetelet is how you say it. So Quetelet, or we're just going to call him Lambert here, was a distinguished mathematician. He was a statistician and he was a sociologist. And he conceptualized what we now call the BMI as a part of his sociological studies that took place back in 1830s and 1840s. Now, it's very important to note that his primary intention with this was not to measure any individual's health or obesity. Rather, he aimed to identify patterns and trends within large populations for statistical research. So this measurement, which was originally called the Quetelet Index, laid the groundwork for what would become a widely adopted tool in the medical sector. So the Quetelet Index remained relatively obscure and dormant, at least in the medical field, until the 20th century when escalating obesity rates here in Western societies prompted us to search for a simple, practical means of measuring body fat on a large scale. Now, a big shift happened back in 1972 when this guy named Ansel Keys, he was a, an American physiologist, and he published a paper titled Indices of Relative Weight in Obesity. Now, Key's research involved uh, over 7,000 men in five different countries, and he was comparing these different weight height indices as potential indicators of relative body fat. And his findings led him to advocate for the Quetelet Index, which be, now became renamed again the Body Mass Index, or BMI as most of us know it, as the most satisfactory index for these measurements due to its ease of calculation and relative accuracy. Now, again, keep in mind that even what Keyes is talking about here is measuring body mass or whether you're overweight, underweight, or in a, in a desired weight in large populations, not whether Kevin's overweight or whether you're overweight or underweight, right? But it was Keyes' endorsement of BMI that played a significant role in its widespread adoption by modern healthcare communities. And even with its known limitations, Keyes argued that it's still the best tool available, again, for large-scale studies aimed at defining and tracking obesity trends in populations. And it is. It's a really simple tool. It's very effective in tracking trends. So if I know a million people's height and weight and I can track that over time. So maybe every six months I check back in and I have your weight and your height and I'm tracking this over time. I am certainly able to tell whether our height to weight ratio is moving in a towards a more obese population or towards a leaner population, right? You can see how that might work. But so back in 1972, we have this paper, we got this guy Keys, and he's kind of breathing some new life into our buddy Lambert's original formulas here, and he's applying it to modern day populations. But what happened was, as he popularized this index, the BMI, it was quickly relabeled the BMI, the Body Mass Index, and it was swiftly adopted by healthcare organizations, basically globally. So by the 1980s, it was the tool to categorize an individual as either underweight, normal weight, overweight, or obese based on these standard cutoff points. 
And so if you're not familiar, I'm going to talk to you in a minute about how it's calculated, but let's just talk about the actual numbers here. So a BMI, if you have a BMI of 18.5 or under, you are underweight. If you have a BMI of 18.5 to 24.9, you're at a healthy weight. And if your BMI is 25.0 to 29.9, you're overweight. And if you have a BMI of 30 or more, you're classified as being obese. All right. So let's talk a little bit about how this is calculated. So for those of us that use imperial measurements, you take your weight in pounds, you divide it by your height in inches squared, and then you multiply that by 703. And that will give you that number. Again, somewhere between, if you're below 18.5, you're underweight. If you're over 30, you're obese. If you're somewhere in between, you're either healthy or overweight. And now for metrics, it's a little bit easier. You take your weight in kilos and you divide it by your height in meters squared. Boom, there's your number. But let's talk about the limitations of BMI when it's applied to you and I, when it's applied to individuals. So I'm going to start with myself as an example. So I am six foot two. I'm currently 205 pounds, which gives me a BMI of 27. So if you remember 25.5 to 29.9 is overweight. So I'm right smack in the middle of that overweight category. Now, if you could see me, you would say, well, wait, I don't, I don't get it. I'm a, basically, I'm a pretty tall, lean dude. I'm, I'm not overweight, but because of the limitations of this, and we're going to talk about some of these limitations here in a minute, the, just when we just take this and apply this to an individual, we can see that it can be wildly inaccurate. So let's talk a little bit about the limitations of the BMI when it's used for judging a individual's body composition. Because despite its widespread universal use, look, if you go to the doctor, the doctor's chances are they're going to give you a BMI and say, hey, you're outside the, the, the healthy weight range here based on your BMI. But the BMI has attracted a ton of well-founded criticism because it's just an oversimplification of what constitutes a healthy weight. And here's a few of those limitations. Number one, it doesn't account for muscle mass. BMI measures weight relative to height, but it doesn't differentiate between muscle and fat. So this means that athletes or people with high muscle mass could be, and often are, classified as overweight or obese despite being in excellent physical condition. So again, that's the case with me, right? I, I come in as right smack in the middle of that overweight section. I'm not. Number two, it doesn't account for fat distribution. So where fat is located on the body can have significant implications for your health. So the most common example is abdominal fat or visceral fat is 100% associated with higher risk of heart disease and diabetes compared to fat stored in other parts of the body. But of course, BMI, which just takes into account our overall weight, overall height, does not take this into consideration. Number three limitation of BMI when used towards individuals is it has zero reflection of healthy behaviors. So a person's BMI does a very poor job of telling the full story about that person's lifestyle choices, such as diet and physical activity, of course, which are crucial components of overall health. So a person with a normal BMI can still have unhealthy habits such as poor diet or lack of exercise. Number four, 
It doesn't consider age, gender, or ethnicity. So again, BMI doesn't adjust for age, and we know that body composition changes as we age, often with an increase in body fat and decrease in muscle mass. Those of you that have listened here for a while, you know that that's what this podcast is all about, is railing against that. We're not losing muscle as we age because we're aging. We're losing muscle as we age primarily because we stop using our muscles, right? Anyway, I digress. Getting back to this. So BMI, of course, only is taking into account your height, your weight, not considering your age, gender, or ethnicity. But think about simple things like women generally have more body fat than men for a given BMI. And, and some ethnic groups are predisposed to health risks at a lower BMI than others. And then number five, this seems pretty obvious, but it may, and in fact it does, lead to misclassification. So due to all the above limitations, using BMI alone can lead to both false positives, that is classifying healthy people as overweight, and false negatives, classifying overweight people as healthy. So in conclusion, while the body mass index has been a helpful tool in gauging obesity trends at a population level, and it certainly does do that. It's a horrible tool when applied to individuals. It does not provide an accurate reflection of an individual's health status. So a holistic approach, considering all these various factors such as waist circumference, body composition, lifestyle choices, family history, these are way more effective in assessing an individual's health risk or what a healthy weight is for that person. And as we journey here into the future, there is a growing need to refine or potentially just ditch BMI and replace it with a more comprehensive tool or probably set of tools. Our understanding of health and well-being is evolving and our methods of measurement should evolve with it. How to lose weight without dieting. Shedding excess weight and getting back in shape doesn't always require a rigorous quote-unquote diet, especially for those of us over 50. So today I want to focus on a few effective strategies that can help you lose a few of those unwanted pounds and improve your health all without going on a traditional diet. So these are a few of my favorite tips for folks to consider. They're basically healthy habits, but they're things that you should have in place before you really consider going on a diet. So I've got eight tips here to help you lose a few pounds without doing a traditional diet. Let's jump into them. And my first tip is this, stay hydrated. So this episode drops at the end of June. For most of us, it's summertime, it's hot, we're sweating a lot more. This is a tip that we really need to be paying attention to. So hydration plays a crucial role in our overall health, including our metabolic health and all our metabolic functions. And adequate water intake helps maintain bodily functions that can help keep you feeling satiated, which reduces the desire to snack between meals. So you, those of you that have been around for a while have heard this calculation before, but here's what I say for hydration. My, my top tip is this, take your weight in pounds, divide it in half. That's how many ounces of water you should aim for every single day. So 
for example, like I just told you I'm 205 pounds, I should be getting a minimum of, let's just call it an even 100 ounces of water a day. So I've got a 32 ounce hydro flask. I carry it everywhere I go and I drain at least a minimum of three of those every single day. In days when I work out really hard or I'm outside and I'm sweating a lot, I'm aiming for more and I may even supplement a little bit of sodium to replace some of those electrolytes. But staying hydrated is key to helping you stay healthy, but also for losing weight. Okay. My number two tip for losing weight without going on a diet is this, get plenty of sleep. Again, those of you that have been around here for a while have undoubtedly heard me talk about the importance of sleep. I'll go so far as to say that getting healthy, adequate sleep is the foundation of over 50 health and wellness. So Sleep is a fundamental but often neglected component of weight management. The lack of sleep can disrupt our hormones that control our hunger and satiety cues. So you may have heard of ghrelin and leptin. These are our commonly known as our hunger and uh, satiety hormones, and they are responsible for you feeling full or feeling hunger. And when we don't get adequate sleep, that throws these out of whack, which makes it more likely for us to have increased appetite and the potential weight gain along with that. So make it a priority to get a minimum of seven hours of quality sleep every night to keep your body functioning optimally and to help you in your weight loss journey. Number three tip is to practice mindful eating. So this is one of my favorite ones to start with our clients with. It's a simple thing in concept, but it's really hard to do for a lot of people. So many of us eat when we're on the go. We eat in our cars. We eat at our desk. We eat when we're standing up. We're eating fast food. We're rushing through our meals. We're just gobbling food down. But taking the time to eat mindfully, to eat slowly, to actually sit and be present while we're eating promotes a deeper awareness of those, those bodily hunger and satiety cues. And it empowers you to eat when you're genuinely hungry and to stop when you're actually full, potentially leading to a reduction in the overall calories. Because what's often happening is when we're wolfing down our food is we are overrunning our satiety cues. In other words, we just talked about ghrelin and leptin, these hormones that are responsible for you feeling hungry or you feeling full. And when you're just gobbling your food down on the go, or when you're scrolling through social media while you're eating and you're distracted, you're very likely to overeat and just miss that your body's biological cue. This is, hey, we're full. We've had enough food. So a couple of my tips here are first, just to slow down and be mindful. The mindful part of mindful eating, be present, enjoy your food, smell your food, taste your food, notice the texture of your food. It may be helpful to put your fork or spoon down in between each and every bite. And here's the part that's really tricky, but get rid of the electronic distractions. No TVs, no phones while you're eating. I would challenge you if you're in the habit of constantly scrolling your phone or having the TV on or just eating in a distracted state to take a week and just really work on all of your meals, being seated, being present and eating mindfully. 
Number four tip for weight loss without going on a diet is to embrace strength training. As we age, we all know that our muscle mass gradually decreases, which leads to a slower metabolic rate. And as we also know is that muscle mass is gradually decreasing, not because we're getting old so much as because we stop using our muscles. So having some sort of a well thought out professionally programmed strength training program is critical for our overall health, but also for our weight loss journeys. So regular strength training will add a little bit of muscle to your body, which will increase your body composition, the way you look, and it will also increase your metabolic rate, which will help you burn more calories even while you're resting. So strength training, fantastic. For, and it's often overlooked as a tool for weight loss because the the fat burning effects we get from strength training continue long after we've had our exercise session. Number five, reduce processed foods. So processed foods are convenient. They taste good. I get it. But processed foods, especially ultra-processed foods, are high in unhealthy fats, sugar, often sodium. So they're very calorie-dense and very nutrient-sparse, all of which can contribute, obviously, to weight gain. And in fact, there was a study that showed that people who primarily selected processed and ultra-processed foods, and just note that the average American eats 70% of their diet is processed and ultra-processed foods, but people who select primarily processed and ultra-processed foods tend to eat 500 calories a day on average more than people who select primarily whole foods for their daily diet. So try to base your diet around whole foods. Choose lean proteins, lots of vegetables, fresh fruits, whole grains, as opposed to packaged goods. And keeping on a similar theme here, number six, avoid drinking your calories. So liquid calories, especially from these ultra-processed sugary beverages, things like sodas and energy drinks, but we're also going to lump in fruit juices here. Remember, fruit juice is not a healthy drink. Um, and even alcohol, or I should say especially alcohol, can all add up very quickly to contribute to weight gain. Instead, go back to our number one tip, opt for water. But of course, you can choose herbal teas or other unsweetened beverages to try and stay hydrated without all the extra calories. Number seven tip for losing weight without going on a diet is to manage your stress. Look, in our modern society, we all are dealing with some level of stress. And for most of us, that's some low level or some of us moderate to high levels of chronic stress. And we know that chronic stress 100% leads to weight gain, specifically around the midsection. And again, this is that abdominal or visceral fat, no bueno for your health. While many of us don't have control over our stressors, we all have control over how we react to stress. So consider incorporating some stress management techniques into your daily life. Things like meditation, deep breathing, prayer, uh, setting, a setting aside time for hobbies and activities that you really enjoy, gratitude practices, things that allow you to unplug, unwind, and de-stress from your day can go a long ways towards your healthy weight goals. And my number eight tip for losing weight without dieting is this, eat protein with every meal. 
So protein is the most satiating of the macronutrients. Your macronutrients, remember, are your proteins, your carbs, and your fats. And when we eat protein, it helps us feel fuller longer, which reduces the urge to snack. And again, potentially decreasing those overall calories that we're eating. So incorporate some source of protein into each and every meal can help you preserve that lean muscle mass that we're trying to build. Remember, it was tip number four, I think, that was strength training. But uh, that protein will help us build and maintain that lean muscle mass, which is so critical for those of us over 50. And some of you OG listeners will recognize this formula I'm getting ready to give you. But your protein goal should be 0.7 to 1 gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. So what that looks like for me, for example, I'm 205 pounds. I'm aiming for 205 grams of protein every day. That's a lot of protein, admittedly. Now, if you're a 150-pound woman and let's say you your ideal body weight is 130 pounds, then you might choose somewhere between 100 and 130 grams of protein a day. Make a huge difference in your weight loss journey. So by focusing on these eight non-diet strategies, you can effectively promote weight loss and better health. And keep in mind, the goal is not just to lose weight, to have a lower number on the scale, but to cultivate a lifestyle that encourages long-term health and wellness, that helps you to feel good, strong, capable, and vital in your body, and of course, to look good as well. So the choices that you make now particularly for those of us over 50, can significantly impact our health and quality of life in the coming years. So embrace these tips for a healthier, stronger, more vital you, no diet required. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. You can find the show notes for this episode over at silveredgefitness.com slash 205. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. Stay strong.